0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy,
1: And I'm Danya Williams. And yeah, my girl is back. My girl is back. (laughs) So excited. So if you guys followed us in the first, I want to jump right in. Do you want to say anything first, Brian?
0: You take it. You take (laughs) it.
1: Okay. Because I'm trying to jump right in because I want all of the time for this, like everything. So, okay yael yaya gordon what can i say you guys she has been just the she was a part of the louisiana um sugar plantation show back in october and she just she just graced us with her beauty her glory her knowledge her experience and it's just been awesome so i just want to introduce her again Hey yeah, yeah. how, are, how are, you?
2: are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm so glad y'all had me back on, and I'm excited. I'm excited. You? And I'm to both. both of y'all. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we are just so excited to have you back. As is the audience, people have been chatting about this all week. They've just been really looking forward to to part two. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because if you guys missed part one, I, I sent you a message. I posted it. I said, if you missed part one, you need to get on it. You need to follow it. You need to see where it is so you can do your thing and be ready and prepared to get up with what she's about to teach us today. So I, I tried. <laughs> I, I gave y'all full warning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess without further ado, can we throw that, that very first map up?
1: Yes, we can. I am pulling it up now. So here we are, that very first map
0: on my end as well. So as Don is bringing this up, basically what we're going to be seeing in very soon is a map that plotted the density of enslaved people in the slaveholding south. Yes. And this map is available for free on Library of Congress, a place to go to for all manner of just amazing amazing free maps. And I want to just spend a uh, little while kind of talking about how this map came into being and a little bit about the map itself. So as you can see, this map was compiled from the census of 1860. So that gives you the, the time frame that we're talking about. And Yahel, can you talk tell us just about how this map even came into being? Who was responsible for it?
2: Well, this is a, actually a coast survey map. Um, so people have been getting information from maps um, and census records for the for longest time, since since they've been in existence. And so for this particular map, it was said to have been created to raise money for us as they, the sick and wounded soldiers. Um, however, it was really used, Abraham Lincoln used this kind of also to help research some of the, the, the population density and also slavery and within the slave states. So this kind of assisted with navigating through the various states that were still, you know, slave states and helping with assist with the Civil War. And again, as you mentioned, it was taken from the census on the census, uh, excuse me, taken from the census information from the 1860 census. Of course, as many know that all the information from the census was not always recorded and some people were left off. So there's very, very well individuals who were not recorded on here. So the numbers are not definitive numbers, they're completely all accurate, but they are the ones that have, were counted on these particular census lists. And so, again, it was Lincoln used this to try to do some research on the various slave states and see how large the slave population were was, um, and getting numbers to, to basically see what he was going to have to fight against.
0: And to help people interpret what it is that they're seeing, the mm-hmm. darker regions are the most dense regions, and then as they get lighter they become less populous. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that is absolutely correct. And so since we're talking about Louisiana today, you can scroll on down to Louisiana just to kind of show um, the information. But all this, all what you see right here, it shows all 15 slave states at that particular time, okay? And
0: mm-hmm.
2: so as you mentioned, the darker shades shows where there was a higher percentage of enslaved people in the various... In Louisiana, we have parishes instead of counties. Everywhere else, they have counties. So in Louisiana... <laughs> um you'll see and re- really everywhere you'll see the darker shades really align along the major rivers here we go especially like the mississippi river that was a way of transportation um in you know, for a living. Um, And many of the plantation owners would have loved to live along the river. That was prime property for shipping in and out. And so the darker shades are along the river. They had easy access to exportation and importation. Where the lighter shades are, there were not many direct major waterways there. So the enslaved population may not have been as populated there in those particular areas. And for instance, in Louisiana, if we look in the right in the middle towards the top, you could win parish. That particular parish was it only had, you know, about 19, excuse me, about I mean I'm, I'm sorry, let, let me scroll again my eyes, y'all excuse me. About 10 19% um, was enslaved. Now I'll tell you the numbers that you're seeing are actual numbers, the percentage of that population. So that means 19% of the population in that particular parish were enslaved people. This That's not just crazy. the number of enslaved persons that were there. If you go down up along the river and look at some of the other larger numbers, do you have tensile pairs? Um, 90%, 91% right under it.
0: And so, now, I'm so wait curious. explain
2: that percentage again. Okay, the, the percentage shows the percentage of enslaved people amongst the population in that particular parish or county.
1: So 90.8% of the people in the Tennessee, Tennessee County
2: Tennessee, yes. was
1: enslaved. Yes. Got to be more careful. Yes.
2: Okay, go ahead. So that is that, mm-hmm. that, that is what those numbers um, mean. So they're not just how many people were enslaved there. Um, that means that, well, it technically does, but that means that that's, amongst the population. So ninety percent of that population that was counted for the census were enslaved people. Mm.
0: Is yeah. there a reason because I've noticed, I've spotted something as Donnie was quickly scrolling through it again. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why the northern part of Louisiana seems much more darker and dense in terms of the enslaved population than say the rest of the rest of Louisiana? Cotton. Oh, cotton of course.
2: is a big factor, um, and so again, you'll see the darker shades along the river in South Louisiana. Which in another map, I'm kind of show you just how this works between different cotton and sugarcane. So south of you know Baton Rouge, it's sugarcane. North is cotton. So they would have needed more hands to pick cotton. So they're the the they're more enslaved persons on those particular plantations mm-hmm. for instance in 1860 one of the largest slaveholders um, at the at a single place um, was Meredith Calhoun and he had on his one one single plantation 709 individuals on a cotton plantation that's on one plantation not those who had say five or so like John Burnside he would have had one his one plantation had 709 individuals that were enslaved that were counted for at that particular time so and they they would have had more again because they needed more individuals to pick the cotton but also their life expectancy would have been a little bit longer and so they would they, they may have lived longer and been able to be counted for the census record now i will point out that the the, the census documentation that you're viewing it does not include anyone who had passed away it did not include anyone who died two weeks before the enumerators went by it did not include anyone who was with child or even sold away that is specifically the information that was taken from that particular census record Mm
0: -hmm. now someone's already asking a question uh this is tammy oh sorry it wasn't tammy's uh i've lost who it was but they were asking how many people were enslaved in saint landry and rather than getting into that the National Archives, they actually have breakdowns of the information that's taken from the census returns. So I'm gonna to suggest to all of the audience, if, if that's the level of detail that, that you'd like to know about, all of, the, all of that information is available on the National Archives. If you go to their like census record sanction, section, they will give you a breakdown for every census year where slavery was practiced, um, how many enslaved people there were.
2: Right. And they can also find that information. They, there are some older websites, say like RootsWeb, that has that information. Why that was not documented on that map, I I'm I, I really don't know. Um, but looking at it, it was probably, it was a lot, it was about almost 12,000 individuals who were enslaved there. Mm-hmm. But um, there are genealogists and historians that actually dedicate their time specifically to St. Landry Parish. Um one definitely being um, Alex DePaul Lee. He can definitely answer that question for you because he researches the enslaved population in that particular parish.
0: Mm-hmm. And Donnie, if you wouldn't mind throwing that map up just one more time oh, <laughs> and scrolling. I we're
2: done with it.
0: Oh, it's okay. Oh, no, because well,
2: no, we need to see the, the actual numbers of people. That's one of the most important things that you'll find on that map. So if you do bring that up real <laughs> again? Got it. So for this particular map, if you look all the, if you zoom in all the way to the bottom and it shows a box where it says census of 1860, you'll see the 15 slave states um, that are there. Okay. Now the, at the bottom, let's see. Yes. That number there. (gasps) That shows a box. Okay. That is very important. Now, When we look at the number of the slave population, it's about 4 million individuals that were counted and documented, okay? And we look at the free population. That's about, you know, 8 million or so. That is not 8 million owners. That is 8 million free persons. Owners, their mothers, their children, their babies, free persons of color, their children, their wives, Everyone who was not enslaved, if they were enslaved, they were counting the slave population. Those who were, who, who were not enslaved at all, that's the free population. So it's not 8,000 owners. That, that is a very, very important separation. Not 8,000 owners. That is 8,000 free persons. So that number would have very well continued to, to grow. So realistically, the number of enslaved persons to owner would have been very, very overwhelming. I wish they would have actually listed that number. Of how many actual owners and that would have given a lot more depth to this but you just see just how large they almost over you know doubled or or a little little bit less than half of the whole free population and again that's just those who are alive at that particular time
1: so okay with that being said and Mm -hmm. i think that the question that i'm about to ask is like truly truly important um because this was out of all of the 15 states that were enslaving people. And that number, let me see, you said it was eight million two hundred, and then three million nine hundred and fifty. Oh, my God. My question just left me. Go ahead, Brian, because I know it's going to come back. My question just okay. left
0: me. Um. Nolaway, and I'm sorry if I've mispronounced your name. Um, this map is available from the Library of Congress online from its, its maps collection. And I think we'll probably throw a link up to it at the, the end of the show. But, darling, while you're thinking of your question, if you can go up to what was the Mississippi Territory? I know it's not about Louisiana, but it's just something I wanted to mention real quick. So bearing in mind that the Mississippi territory was basically Native American land before people started moving into it, you can go more up into the to the right, or actually yeah, if you move it, move the image more to your left because we're still kind of in Mississippi.
1: So where are you going right here go more
0: to go more to the atlantic coast i want I want to see like the Mississippi territory from Georgia to the Louisiana border okay. Uh, Can you zoom out? There we go. Perfect, that is perfect. So as we're talking about the the Mississippi territory a couple of episodes ago, we know that it went from part of Georgia, like Washington County, all the way across to the Louisiana border. Now, look at how dense that is. Two generations previously, that was Native American land and it was sparsely populated. And hopefully people can start piecing it together and see why the United States wanted that land so bad. Look at how dense it is, even in the middle of it. I mean, there's a couple of counties in there on what's now Mississippi and Alabama that are quite sparsely populated, but look at all the rest of it from beneath Tennessee, all the way down to um, the Gulf Coast, going all the way over to, to Georgia. I mean, within two generations, that was a massive change. And then you have Louisiana kind of happening roughly around about the same time. So, I mean, this this was just a real kind of seismic shift.
2: Right. And he, in the he, kind he of, into going into Texas, mm-hmm. it shows that migration of wanting to move there with more enslaved people so that this is in like in the border of texas right there doesn't seem largely populated however that that some, many of them were um persons who are who owned enslaved persons who could not necessarily compete with the law some of the larger slaveholders and so they wanted to you know kind of a, not, not to say a fresh start but they it was kind of not unpopulated territory but it gave them an opportunity i'll say and so mm-hmm. they started to move on to that way. And it would have continued to grow. But just because a area has a smaller population does not mean enslaved, a smaller number and percentage does not mean enslaved persons were not there. Because for instance, if you one in particular, if you look at places like the Orleans, New Orleans area, it is not highly, it doesn't have a high number at all. It's actually 8.9%. And one would think, okay, New Orleans is, 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 is associated you know, with slavery just as well. However, there's a reason for that. Um, you have taxes. How are you are gonna have higher taxes there? Paying taxes on individuals, but also it was um, a lot of free persons of color, but as well, there's not a lot of land to cultivate in New Orleans. And so most of, many of those people would have been working in someone's home, Or, you know, a cobbler or a carpenter, something of that sort. Did that that mean that they were not enslaved? They just worked in a different capacity. Same thing in the Appalachian Mountains. They would have been working in that type of atmosphere. Everyone who was enslaved was not working in someone's field. I remember my question. Yes. So,
1: and this is important. People always talk about the indentured servants. Are they counted in this census?
2: for 1860 yeah they were not enslaved on like as these people were considered so i would i in my opinion i would say they were li- listed as 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 free i cannot free. free them yes as as it let me listen as anyone's a slave person at all because there is a difference between indentured and Instance. There is a difference, right. but you know people tend
1: to try to push no. indentured servitude into slavery, and it's two different things. And they and you get you gotta you you have to point out the fact that it's two different things. Not saying that what they went through wasn't bad. Of course, mm-hmm. anybody who is made to work to be free is is mm-hmm. it's a bad thing. I don't care who it is, but it wasn't the same. Right, exactly. Catherine Knight just screamed at me. (laughs) She said, "Indentured servitude is not chattel slavery,"
2: and she is absolutely right. And I just like to go in my head and even think of where indentured service would have even still been in in like an eighteen sixty. Maybe I'm missing something, but that's not.
0: Oh, I have an example for you. So. In my North Carolina ancestry, and this is on the kind of European descended side, the Caucasian descended side of the family. Now, if they were poor, if the man died prematurely young, I've seen agreements where his kid, and this is like 1857, 1858, 1859, his children were being indentured so that they could learn a trade. Um, That was still happening to free people of color too. If they were poor, and you know the local government was fearful that there were going to be a burden on the the state, they would indenture them. Um,
2: and there, I've seen laws about that. I've definitely seen laws about that putting children into, um, in, in being an indenture servant, or even women who had children out of wedlock, things like that. But as far as them being technically counted as an enslaved population,
0: yeah, no, different.
2: And Might I, and I, wanted to
1: put that, I wanted to put that out there. I knew that answer Let me be clear. I knew that answer <laughs> but I wanted it I wanted to put it out there because I felt that that number was so amazing that three million nine hundred thousand was so amazing and people always try to say you have some people who always try to say that indentured servitude was the same
2: as slavery. No no. And I, you know, sometimes we ruffle feathers with this. They're the Irish, you know, I hear that argument all the time. They're, they were just, they were slaves. I'm like, there is a complete difference in this type of slavery and in being an indentured servant. That was completely, completely different. And so, no, that is these these people that were accounted for this are specifically from the 1860 slave census
0: that shows this information. Mm-hmm. Well, usually one of the ways that I counteract that online is I use this example. I am like, if you, if your ancestor was, was not under threat of having their children sold away, they could be sold away from their children and their families could be split apart. They were never enslaved. They were indentured. And you know, there's a whole bunch of issues with indentured people, whether they could get married, all that kind of stuff, but they never had to worry about their kids being sold away. Right. They never had to worry about themselves being sold away from their husband, their wife, or their kids. Right. So that's that's the, the fundamental difference between slaves and indentured people.
2: Exactly, so they're between a servant and a piece of property. Right, mm-hmm. completely, so yes
0: so one thing i wanted to cycle back to is i'm working with a client now who's got ancestry split between mississippi and louisiana and in a way this map is like textbook but his ancestry goes back a couple of generations before this so it starts in darlington and williamsburg south carolina next thing you know they're in the mississippi territory kind of what's now a meat county and then there are over in East Feliciana. So I'm researching all about the enslaving Norwoods and Pipes people of of East Feliciana. And it's really interesting because his family had zero contact with like French speaking people, even the enslavers, they kind of married within Scottish families, Irish families, German families. And I'm really, you're the perfect person to ask this. What was that kind of difference between I would say the Catholic enslaving families and the, the enslaved Catholics and then, I guess, people that you would call Protestants or, or Christians and mm-hmm. enslaved people who practiced that religion. What, what was that kind of... What was, that, was there a tension in the community? Did they kind of come together or were they two completely separate groups of it people? It
2: was actually... Realistically, it was really actually separate. Everybody stayed amongst their own people. You know, you knew who your people were and you stayed, you know, amongst them, even though even if that same family say they were all French um, and they were French Creole, they would have done business amongst each other, but they also would have been competitors amongst each other, but they would have married into the same families um, and not really deal, deal with others. The Americans that were here did not like the French. They hated the French and vice versa. So. It would it would have been that the French actually thought that when you know after the Louisiana Purchase that the American Americanization was going to take away slavery. That's what that's what they thought, but slavery is you know it flourished and it actually continued. But the as far as the religion, those who were Catholic, not not saying that they were practicing Catholic, they would have been you know supposed to baptize you know their enslaved person within the, um, the Catholic faith. But again, they were not necessarily practicing that. That was for legal purposes, for legal documentation of these individuals. They would not have gone to a church on, say, a Sunday. They probably, many of them, especially in South Louisiana, would have been working on a Sunday because the type of work that Sugarcane would have you know, had made them do. And so they would have had baptisms maybe at the church and collectively as a group, or may have had a priest come around to the various plantations to baptized them there on the property. But every community would have stayed amongst itself. And you the know, French would have spoken French and Germans would have spoken German. Now there sometimes is a mixture between the, some Germans and, and some of the French, people intermarried, intermingled, but everyone pray, basically pretty much stayed to themselves. And so the enslaved persons that they had would have picked up the language that their owner would have spoken. If they were sold somewhere else, they would have to learn a completely you know, new language. If they were sold from the north and sold down south to, say, a French owner, then they're going to be listed as American, and they're going to have to pick up very quickly on, say, a French language, or that could mean punishment for them. So, so in
0: theory, mm-hmm.
2: I just I got have got a quick... A real... Okay, go ahead.
0: Because go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, well, okay, so mine my, okay. my, my, my really does piggyback on what
1: what On what y'all got said though,
0: yeah. So this could be a real this could be a real scenario. You could be um, a kidnapped African brought to brought here, mm-hmm. having to learn English. Say say for instance, you were enslaved in Virginia or North Carolina first. You're learning English, mm-hmm. um, more than likely with a Protestant family, and within your lifetime, you could be sold into the deep side, into Louisiana, and then. To a French family, so you would have to change your religion and learn another language. That must have been hell.
2: It would have been, and, you know, loss of identity. And so their whole goal was to make it through the next day, whatever they had to do. And if that meant they had to pretend to be Catholic or accept the faith, but again, who? who it's it wasn't necessarily practicing this, but the language barrier is actually really more important than, you know, than, than, than a faith, than, than the actual faith barrier, because they would have had to try to understand those that are around them. You have many different languages. You have many different people from different different dialects. If they are sold and brought in directly from Africa, they may not even be brought from the same place. And so they, 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 they couldn't even understand each other. So kind of liken it to looking at the Tower of Babel in a biblical sense. Mm one, you know, mixing wow. up the, of these languages. And so you'll have different languages and different um, words here in Louisiana that, you know, everyone kind of can say, and everyone knows who, you know, what they're talking about, but depending upon where they were sold, they may not have understood anything. They just may have been shown, you know, you know the work. And so, and I think, and, and Jari um, mentioned at, you know, there's a vast difference between Northern Louisianians and South Louisianians. And so yeah, I that. the culture, language, um, faith would have been very different. Not all not everyone here in Louisiana is Catholic. Not not everyone. And so yep. even though it's v- very highly populated with African Americans who are Catholic, not everyone is. And so, so some of these individuals would have been taking some of their own spiritual beliefs and incorporating it into some of Catholicism and practices and spirituality. So um I wanted to bring up
0: this
1: particular comment that Odette Settles said. He's my, one of my cousins. He said the term people of color is a new term, and at the time we're referring to is black people. Free people of color was not new. That was what they called them. Right. Am I correct?
2: Yes. Free people of color. That's why you see the um, Yes. Right. And then the
1: other thing is, is that they weren't considered black in 1860. They were considered Negroes or am I correct?
0: Well, actually in Louisiana, wasn't it even more complicated than that?
2: It's a lot more complicated. Um, that's what I thought I was there. That's a whole nother conversation. It's a lot <laughs> more complicated. Um, and so that free person of color or persons of color, it meant what, exactly what it meant then. Okay. And, and nowadays we're using that term in a BIPOC type of format, you know, black indigenous persons or persons of color, but we know where that we mean black, but I have seen and gone through so many different narratives and research that, that are talking about that, that are from persons who were free persons of color. And they mentioned they don't, they don't call themselves white or black. That's new to them. You know, they were maybe colored or but they're a free person of color
1: their family's free persons of color yeah i because i know that when you know one of the things that i've noticed is as i've done my research and i don't know if anybody else has actually noticed this the term for for black people african americans people of color whatever you want to call it that actually changes like every fifty years almost and Pretty much yeah I mean it's always something different if you look at the the um, the census records you're counted as a Negro in one area then again you're counted as a um, this is a mulatto and then this is a, a black person they're putting them as black now we're African Americans I mean now and then now they're saying that it's the bipoc is now the new term or whatever the case may be and I'm I think I personally feel that that literally is a way to take money, to divide the money up from Black communities. That's my thought process, and I'm going to stick to that.
0: Because, <laughs> again, with Louisiana, I don't remember all of the different terms, but there was a term for each degree of Blackness that you had from, like, mulatto. I think the, one, the last one I remember is octoroon yeah, I don't even right. know if there's a... Are there further subdivisions after octoroon?
2: There are there are subdivisions that talk about like one's color, one's tone. Um, if they're mixed with a European and, and say a black person or even a Spanish person and a black person or a Native American. But you have the mulattoes, the quadroons, and the octoroons. And there are actually some people, as, as offensive as the term pe- we're taking it nowadays, there are people who actually refer to themselves. As such, mm.
1: yes. So what's okay? So what's next? Because we we already thirty minutes in. Let's keep it going. <laughs> what else we got? Well, you what have else that
0: else you got? have that second map. We have that second map that arrived this morning, don't we?
1: Yes, the, that's yes. what. I, okay, yes. <laughs> I'm pulling it up now.
0: And for people who've been following Donnie and I for these past five years, you know that we adore maps. We are yes. map addicts.
2: And for those who are looking, Jari has put the the um, physical identifiers in the chat box to be able to look at that information, and it'll you know it'll tell you a lot.
0: Oh, thank you, Jari.
2: Wow, look at that! All right, so this particular map, this is so. Scroll down for me. Let me see what year this is. And I sent you the the page um, four. Yeah. This so in about 1847, um, Jean Lattre wanted to create a map, an engraved map. This is actually that's the 1853. That's an 1848 one. Um, he wanted to create an a engraved map for plantation owners to put their plantations on the Louisiana map. Okay, and there were about. And for the 1848 one, about eight thousand of them, and so his map was going to be this wonderful, intricate map that's going, that was about four feet by five feet, and it was to specifically to identify the plantations that are in the parishes at that time there here in Louisiana. The pixelation is not extremely clear. So some of the locations you have to really scroll in or you may not be able to even, it's not really legible all the time. And again, that's not everyone because there are some people who did not put their information on there because he required, he asked for donate, well, monies for everyone to put their information on there. So basically this was like a directory is what he created this for. Mm. And in his write-up, it was going to be to show everyone where they were, and so they can be familiarized with their area and who's around them, but also to identify their friends, other slaveholders in their area. So you know who your allies and your counterparts are. And so that, that's what, one of the reasons why these maps were created, the 1848 and the 1853 map that shows the parishes at that time here in Louisiana.
0: Like I said, for me researching in East Feliciana Parish, this map was incredible because I could actually see where the enslavers were, and I was just chatting to Donnie about it before, before we um in our in our green room, mm-hmm. getting a better understanding of why the families were going back and forth between the meet. In East Feliciana, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to physically see that that border and see those two places in conjunction with each other, yes. a lot of the pieces of the puzzle just really kind of fell into place.
2: Yes, that we have a um, between Louisiana and Mississippi, these people were traveling in and out, in and out. Some have some had plantations in Louisiana and Mississippi. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just in one particular Spot and so there are individuals Who may have say a Natchez Connection but their ancestors were sold sold Here or they they were here And so these people are still all Interrelated and when you Think about it some of the large plantation owners They did not just have always One plantation They had multiple they had multiple lands But I want everyone to remember That when we're looking at we're thinking about the word or the term Plantation it is essentially a farmland, it's not a house, it's farmland. And so all of these places that you're actually seeing, that who, that's who the landowner was at that time, or it may have a name associated with the particular plantation that was there. Not everyone gave their plantation a name. So it may say Branger and Sons or something and not actual plantation name. So when we're trying to research these plantation owners or, their, or our, our ancestors, Make sure you're looking at looking to see who that particular landowner was at that time, because they may have been in partnership with with someone else. Again, not everyone named their property. There are some properties that have names now, but that came later in years. And so you're thinking, OK, it, it didn't exist or it's not on the map, but it actually is. You just have to be familiarize familiarize yourself with maps, land boundaries and who those owners were.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is. This is- this is making me think of someone else that I've been researching, Parky Custis, George Washington's step stepson or step great grandson. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually, step yeah stepson. Anyway, he was in Virginia. The guy who owned Arlington House, which is now Arlington Cemetery, he had massive pro- he had massive lots of land all over Virginia, but he principally lived in in one. So. Mm-hmm. But he would still have enslaved people living in the most appalling conditions on his other properties, even if those properties didn't have what we would consider a big house kind of a thing. So what you're talking about in Louisiana, is that a very similar thing? They didn't necessarily have to have a house the enslaver didn't have to have a house on the property. Were they still putting people on that land to work that land?
2: Yes. Wherever there was land, there was people all the time. Again, every plantation did not have a house. Some just may have had a sugar mill or an area or a mill for them to um, produce cotton, and it may have had enslaved persons there. It may have had an, an overseer there living there, or the enslaved persons could have been traveling back and forth to that particular spot of land that's still considered a plantation, but they lived ten miles down the road and they had to travel ten miles back and forth every single day. So yes, it's very, it's very, very um, normal for for. A person who's in um, who owned enslaved persons to have house locations everywhere. They didn't always; they weren't always very hands-on with the properties. They may have visited, you know, every so often, but they didn't always necessarily stay there. But but many actually did. This was their home.
0: Well, actually, while I have you, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's um, a study that's been done on this in terms of Louisiana. Do you have an idea of how many? enslavers would be what we would call absentee enslavers, meaning they had land somewhere lots of land in one place, but were actually living somewhere else. Because you know, we're talking Louisiana has a brutal climate, lots Mm -hmm. of swamps, there's yellow there was yellow fever, there's malaria and all the rest of that going on. How did that how did that work?
2: Well, okay, so in there I don't have there are no definitive numbers. But go, again, going back to the 1860 and even 1850 census records, you can kind of see which plantation owners had multiple because they may have been documented in multiple parishes or multiple areas. And it'll show you where their, actual, where their plantations were. It does not necessarily identify if they lived there. Looking at the regular census, it will show their actual household where they were. So if you find individuals who have a household one place, but you're looking on this 1860 slave schedule, you may find them multiple times, but it'll have the actual ward in the parish where they live in the actual regular census. So-
0: And hmm? I'm so happy that you said that because I I forgot to mention that enslavers can be in those slave schedules more than once. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Yes,
2: they can absolutely be in the schedules more um than once and i see someone asked a question um well he didn't he made a comment about seeing some of the black slave owners i was waiting for y'all to stop
1: (laughs) i was waiting because i know you wanted to talk about that
2: (laughs) so okay all right this topic it is absolutely true Yes, being in Louisiana, this is this we, we, we know this already. Um, a lot of information you can find in the um, the free Negro owners in uh, in the slaves in the United States in 1830. A lot of information is there to see who some of the um, free persons of color was who owned enslaved persons. Some of them may had may have had two or three. Others may have had eighty. So. We always kind of hear the argument that, okay, well, that that was their relatives. They own their relatives. In a realistic sense, if an enslaved person was manumitted or emancipated by the government, then if they bought their child, their child would technically be their slave. They have to manumit that person, that child, in order for them to be free. The only way to be free is for emancipation or manumission. So if they freed that that, that child, they would not be enslaved, okay? Some did not free their children because that meant they may have have to go away. They'd have to leave the area or or the state. However, there were individuals who were free persons of color who owned enslaved persons who were not related to them at all. Slavery was a business and there is no loyalty in business. If a person could afford it, or if they, if this was just their culture, or say they were a child of a slave owner themselves and they, you know, obtained some form of land, they may have ran a plantation operation. There are several families that this has happened to, um, but that's just a, a, it's not uncommon. There weren't a lot, but that is just, you know, the unfortunate fact. And some of them were, they were known to be very brutal. Um, slave owners, just because the person is this is, you know, that that old saying, all skin folks and kin folks, mm. you know, every just mm. because someone may be of the same ancestral background does not mean they are always going to treat that individual any different. It's still a plantation operation. There was these people were still considered property and they ran many of them like, you know, as regular plantations.
0: You know, and I mean, I hate to put it this way, but you know, within any society, there's always going to be an element of keeping up with the Joneses. And Mm -hmm. I suppose if you were a black enslaver, you weren't going to be any different than a white enslaver.
2: Yes, and um, there were there were laws that started to be implemented in various areas that that prohibited freeing an enslaved person. So the purpose was not to free them at some at many times there they they weren't even allowed to even if they wanted to there were laws being put in place that stopped individuals from freeing an individual and as mentioned in the in the comments it was very expensive they had to, the the person had to go to court in order to free an individual if a free woman of color here wanted to free her child or someone then she'd have to go to court she she'd have to have a high level of literacy legal knowledge um, and monies in order to do that, because at any given time, if someone wanted to contest that for whatever reason, then that would that could stop the process.
1: So I had I've got to a make it a
2: banner where that that quote that you just said,
1: "slavery was a mm. business," there is no loyalty mm. in business. No, I, I, mean, mm-hmm. I had to make that a banner because that that was deep.
2: That was and and, deep. I, and I say that and along with you look at a lot of the plantation owners in Louisiana, you know, after, I'll speak for Louisiana, um, losing their properties after the war. A lot of homes were burned. A lot of um, individuals died right after the Civil War. And this is documented because a lot of the banks would come in and foreclose on those properties. And even if everyone on on that bank board was pro-slavery, they're still going to take that property and flip that property. There's no loyalty in business. It doesn't matter who it is. So, They're going to utilize that to make money and they knew that especially these sugarcane plantations in louisiana made money and a lot of them you know they have to take that land because they needed a lot of hands to work in those places they needed the influx of individuals coming in because they would have died very very quickly working on sugarcane plantations and so they wouldn't have had those people being shipped down south or shipped in and so A lot of the people, a lot of the owners, would have lost their property, and they can't just split up a sugarcane plantation into multiple parcels, like cotton plantation, because they needed they would have needed sugar mills in order to process a lot of the sugar on the plantation.
0: So my other question is, and this is this is something I'm very curious about. Now, slavery is is slavery. You're talking about human beings in bondage with no control over their life or anything that happens to them. With that said, with the caveat, is there a noticeable difference with the slavery period in Louisiana with the Spanish and the French, as opposed to the Americans who came in?
2: Yes, in laws. So we have what we call, say, code noir that regulated slavery, um, and even mentioned, um, jews in there actually surprisingly
0: really oh wow
2: um because they wanted to, it was you know catholic 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 always going back to the catholic now under between the french and say the spanish rule you know when one took over another it's there a little bit more leniency lack of better terms and how an individual could you know be freed that changed, and they, when French took back over, no, we're, we're not doing this. They're there, they, they could not just, okay, just go easily go to court and for whatever reason and just get themselves free. They sometimes they'd have to do some kind of monumental feat, such as save the life of an owner. Like it got to the extent of putting a lot of, pro- prohibiting a lot of freedoms. And making sure they stayed enslaved again, with from going from mother to child. Now with Americanization, again going back to Louisiana Purchase, the French thought that the Americans were going to stop slavery, but it actually really increased. It increased. It increased a lot. But I believe that that made a lot more money for everyone, even though the laws, you know, still kind of shifted again but now you have an influx of people coming in and doing more business so that brought a lot of plantation owners money but also it it really kind of americanized louisiana a lot more than it had ever been
1: wow yeah you you just you just come with so much you you, you be <laughs> can't even talk like you just drop this knowledge on us that is so deep and and then you come up with your own little famous quotes like I need y'all to put that in and just make it you know just like you grab that was a James Baldwin quote I don't care what nobody says. slavery that's what it was and you can't you keep it real and I think that's why everybody is that's why your shows are always so popular mm-hmm.
2: because you're very real and very straightforward. I try to be very straightforward and and I and I'm just going to kind of address Mr. Settles um because with the and you're not beating a dead horse. It's a conversation that needs to be had. People here in those times, you have to learn to differentiate terms, okay? Number 1. Mhm. Terms we use then is not this may not be the same term you use now, which is why you don't hear me much. I'm gonna say the term slave. I'm looking at it from a historian's aspect. I'm using the terminology that was documented in the books, it's not meaning I'm saying a person was AIDS. that's who they were. That's what the legal title of that person was. So I will I will never even I don't have the privilege of going of understanding what these people went through, or even for me to determine what you know, everything about them. But realistically, that was a term that they were called free persons of color. White, they're not European. We're persons of color. And now that includes so many, that includes, you know, those who are from the Middle East, that includes those from from Asia, includes a lot. And yes, now it does Separation amongst people, and it and it's it's almost dismissive sometimes because if you call if call me black or African American as opposed to a person of color, however that was a term that that was actually used to identify those persons, and so right. I will not remove that um, because again that's historical context as opposed to today's context we don't live in and, and and vice versa, so we can't separate those two. Um
1: and and I agree with you like, and I, that's. Yeah, and that that's what I that's the same thing I was saying. And he right, he's not beating a dead horse because that's what I meant by a sort and how the money um changes. You're going to if you go and you do the census record and one push person puts African American and another person puts person of color and another person puts um black. That that, that has a lot to do with where the money is going to go in each individual community. So if you have a group of people that's saying African-American and a group of people that's saying people of color and a group of people that's saying black, then that money that was actually for all those three people has now
2: been split into three spots. You're saying exactly what I've been saying for the longest time, though, even and not to get off topic, but even the reparations conversation when when deciding things like this of who like like who determines this and, and to what extent is is determined. If someone is of mixed ancestry or something, it, it would they get less than someone else or however, depending upon what they identify as a person has the right to identify themselves as whatever they want to identify themselves as. Right. Race does not biologically exist. Um, it's a you know species of something. We are human with certain ancestry, and many of us have multiple ethnicities within us that we can claim or whatever. But technically, you know, we are we are melanated people. I have color in my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, but that's not take away from the issues that we're dealing with today. But documents that we're looking at. You know, the historical documentation, that's what, you know, we were defined under. Right.
0: See, I'm with Shelly. In my lifetime, I've been colored, Negro, <laughs> Afro, African-American, Black. And I just want people to realize that, bar the one phrase that uh, Jesse Jackson came up with, and I can't remember the 70s. The Rainbow term, Yeah, yeah, that. We've never been, We these are not terms that, We've come up with, right? See, and I'm I'm reluctant because I get attacked on social media when I when I say that I'm black. They're like, you're not black. I'm like, oh, okay, then. I have enslaved ancestors, free people of color, but you know what I mean? Again, really not the episode for it. We're, we probably will have a colorism and um, <laughs> terminology episode for season six. It's it's a minefield, basically because you just have people waiting on social media for you to say the wrong thing or mm-hmm. speak your truths the way that you want to speak it and then they just pile in mm-hmm. um but that's taking away from from louisiana um that is got, that that second map
1: that seven minutes
0: that, yeah. i just want to cycle back to that second map which is just which it's one? just such a powerful map the one that yeah. actually had all the um the oh, property oh, owners oh, names oh, and
2: parishes. yes all the parishes um And I said everyone was not counted in that map. Again, he charged people to put their information on the map. And it's literally like a plantation phone book, is what this this is. And this, you know, four feet by five feet, that he wanted to make sure that you know someone may hang that in their home in the 1840s, 1847, 1848. Because he did the document, he did the the documentation and put everything together in 1845. So it it took that time to, to create this and so this was a very very intricate design to show that this is Louisiana and this this is plantation country this this is this is what it is so
0: mm-hmm. and also that the comment about slavery as a business i mean i think Donnie and i've really tried to make that a theme for season 5 you've said it more than once in different contexts and really until we can actually wrap our heads around the fact that slavery was a business. It has ledgers, balance sheets, deeds, sales records. That's what gets us as African-American genealogists and specifically those of us who are descended from enslaved people, thinking about the type of business records that existed in the day to try to figure out where those records are. They still exist to be able to get to them.
2: Mm -hmm. There are, um, very, very, you know, every parish, um, if has has a clerk of court office, has has some kind of repository, archive. You can find a wealth of information in the clerk of court's office. Now, there are some parishes, say, for instance, Rapids Parish, that it they, the 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 courthouse was burned down, and so the records do not exist. Um, up you know, beyond a certain or before a certain time, and that puts a disservice to so many people because their ancestors records are not there. However, again, going back to these maps, you got to go and know about the maps and look at the parish boundary lines, because some of them may have been in other areas. And so they they may not be what it is now. It may have been together. Mm -hmm. And so venture off into some of those other areas. And for really quickly before we even leave this plantation or um, conversation in Louisiana. This map also is one of my absolute favorites. Um, and there's also another LaTourette uh, map. It's an 1848 map. So definitely look on Library of Congress for that map just as well. But this map here shows the Norman's chart of the Lower Mississippi River, sometimes called Persec's map. And this just shows the thousands and thousands of plantations that were documented um, in 1853. On this particular map, and it's color coded: sugar plantations, you know, cotton plantations. Um, if there was a mill in, in in certain places, and so that just goes to show you just how ex- how deep slavery was, and plantation life was um, in this part of Louisiana, on the lower part of the Mississippi River. And that's just the lower part of Louisiana in, in several parishes. It's not it's not mm-hmm. all of them. That's just the lower part. And you'll see these names, these big homes and these big refineries. You'll, see, you'll even find a couple of churches on on this map. And so it's just so it's just how many people on both sides of the rivers, both sides of that levee.
0: So actually you just led into my last question and uh, you led into it perfectly. I didn't notice on these maps they may be, were there things, marks like public, big public works like canals and levees? Because again, those were massive public works or they could be massive public works. It was the, the enslaved people who did the, the donkey work, the actual doing of it, which means they were going to be hiring out contracts with local, right. local enslavers. Um, do these maps actually have those kind of details?
2: The details of this map actually has is again it's the is the the properties that the owners would have had it has some churches it has a couple of mills and it actually has a, some colleges that are on there as far as the larger businesses no it does okay. not have that information it has some of the bayous that are on there and it shows like um, with some of the churches it makes like little cemetery plants that are on there but this is mostly showing property and what's there. like one of the colleges that's on there is Jefferson College. And that was many of, the, and, uh, many of the slaveholders' sons went to Jefferson College. It's right there along the river where there are many plantations. So they went to that mm-hmm. particular college.
0: And again, that's something that people might also want to think about in the last couple of minutes of the show. Every state, every colony back into the, the colonial period had public works projects. And if it was in the slaveholding South, as I said the, the people who were going to do the work were l- largely enslaved people. In my state records, specifically state court records, will usually have some information about the big public works that was going on in the, during the slavery period. may be worth if you know researching within the county that you're looking at to find out what big public works were going on, who, what enslavers were approached to provide enslaved people, and then start trying to fight, and they're called hiring out agreements and you can usually sometimes find them in land deeds, probate deeds. Again, it's not consistent in terms of where you can find them online, but it, it can pay dividends finding them. Because you can have I an entire wanna, family listed.
1: Thank you. I want to thank you. We y'all we running out of time.
0: <laughs> and as
1: much as I would love for us to keep this conversation going, we cannot. Yeah yeah you are forever and guests on this show. <laughs> forever. <laughs> I like, you. without any question whatsoever, you are forever a guest.
2: If anyone and wants I to contact things. me about, to ask a question about any of these plantations, I, this is all I do. Literally, it's what I do every day, all day. Please, you know, um, no, Ancestor Key, without, without the Y, The Ancestor Key. I don't know why this stuff keeps doing that. I'll fix it. <laughs> That's, okay. That's okay. The Ancestor Key. So just let me know. And, you know, I I dig in records all day long and I research plantations and plantation life all day. So please just reach out. I'll try to answer a question. So 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 next week, next week, we're going to be talking about reconstruction.
0: Mm-hmm. so thank yeah. you everyone for um for tuning in thank you yaya so much for dropping your knowledge as always thank you at home thank you wherever you're watching and we will see you next week 4 p.m eastern standard time
1: awesome, awesome. bye you. guys
0: Bye. bye